There we go. Hey, would you stand with me and take your device or your Bible and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us right where we're at today. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Look on with somebody or uh, just so you can see God's Word. I always encourage you, don't, don't hesitate to mark words and, and that kind of thing, just to help you stay in tune to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. This is what it says, 1 Peter 2, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Father, you are awesome. Lord, you created us an incredible way. And Lord, right now, in your presence, there are angels and heavenly beings just declaring that you are holy. And Father, this morning we sang songs. We, I just hope that they added to, uh, to your incredible greatness today. Lord, we need you to speak. Lord, we cannot know you unless you reveal yourself more. So Lord, today these people came and they long to hear from you. Lord, we do not, we do not want to walk out the way we came in. So Lord, please speak to us clearly as you are already doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I always encourage you to jot down notes. It, it just helps you to stay uh, focused and hear, hear from the Lord yourself. We're walking through First Peter. In the 1500s, a guy by the name of St. Francis de Sales, he was the Bishop of Geneva. What he did was is he, he coined a phrase that we use today. And the phrase was simply this, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. You've heard that phrase before. In fact, it's scripturally in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20. Paul is in, informing the people there, he says, to remain in the situation where God has called you. And so what it means to bloom where you're planted is, despite the circumstances, you still just be you in the midst of that and, and bear your fruit, bloom right where you're at. I found a picture that I thought was pretty interesting. This is a parking lot, and notice that the pavement is cracking, and out of that crack has come these uh, flowers that have, have come out of that crack. And I thought, man, that is blooming where you're planted. There is no way that they, there ought to be flowers there, but there are flowers there. And many of you find yourself in difficult situations, 
And you spend most of your life trying to get out of those situations. And maybe the Lord is saying, I have you there for a purpose. First Peter deals with people in the first century, Christians, who were in positions that were very difficult. He was writing to people that were scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. They were Christians. They were under the Roman Empire. They were under the oppression of Nero. They were... Uh, I told you last week that one in three were slaves. There was an incredible oppression that they found themselves under. And Peter all of a sudden is writing to them and says, listen, I know you're I know you're going through this. And some of you are going through stuff today. And Peter would say the same. I know you're going through this stuff. But remember, this is not home. You're strangers and aliens here just passing through And while you're here, I want you to live your life on mission right where you're at. Last week, I challenged you, and I'm curious how your mission field went this week. I said it was your school. I said it was your workplace. That's your your primary mission field other than your family. And I just wonder how it went. Did you even think about it when you drove off this campus last Sunday to drive to work on Monday? I, I just wonder. But... You are on your mission field. And that's what Peter is saying to these people. You are on your mission field. Live your life on mission. You see, when Jesus came, he, 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 he radical. He was radical. And he, he, he led a revolution that number one, lifted up life to a standard it had never been before. You see, under the Roman government, you, if you had a child and you did not want it, you just discarded it. You just got rid of it. And, uh, and the other thing is, is ladies were just treated as objects. So these were two things. And along comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He elevates life as it's never been elevated before. In fact, these, these new believers would take in. These Roman kids would be cast aside. They would take them in and love them. Women. Jesus elevated women to incredible status that they'd never received before because Jesus saw co-equal with man. And so here, here's what these Christians are living under. So they're living on another standard. But what happened is, is I told you that they were under, under Nero. And so Peter says, I want you to uh, be the best citizens you can be in this uncomfortable position. It's not ideal, but I want you to be the best citizens. And last week we talked about master and slaves. We don't have master and slaves, but we have people that we answer to, whether it's school or whether it's work. And so the basically bottom line is you need to be the best employers. You need to be the best employees. You need to be the best students. So we find ourselves as Christians in these uncomfortable positions. And Peter would say, he would say this. Suffering comes, but you need to be the best people. You need to be the best citizens. You need to be the best students. You need to be the best employer and the best worker. But there was one other thing that they were about to face is the home life. You see, some of these ladies were becoming followers of Jesus and their husbands were not. Their husbands, uh, under the Roman culture, a lot of times would have three ladies in their life, okay? And I'm not talking about their mother and their grandmother. They would have three ladies in their life. One would be slave that they controlled in all areas. Number two would be a mistress, which was for their pleasure. 
And then thirdly, was their wife to have children. That would be common under the Roman government. So the wife, who would you think was the legal uh, one, would uh, would be elevated, but it wasn't necessarily that way in the Roman government. So these ladies are coming to Christ, and a lot of them have husbands that have not embraced Christ at all. And so what do you do in that situation? Uh, and then some of them were coming to Christ, but their their husband maybe was not there yet, but he was on the verge of that. Because when a, when a husband came to Christ, usually the whole family came. But the wife found herself in a very difficult situation. And so what does she do? And so Peter addresses that issue right here. And so I just want to uh, walk through it just a little bit so that you can see uh, what is taking place. The first thing he says is that, uh, notice in verse 1 and then in verse 7, he says, wives in the same way. And then he says, husbands in the same way. What does in the same way mean? Well, it goes back to chapter 2. And you may remember at the end of chapter 2, it's talking about Jesus and how Jesus was put under this cruel, intense, cruel suffering. Yet he did not fight for his rights. He gave himself willingly for the sake of the gospel for us. And, and he set us an example that we should follow. And so what Peter is saying to husbands and to wives, live like Jesus. Look unto Jesus. He is the one that was willing to submit his life for the sake of you. You ought to be willing to do the same. And so he says that to wives and husbands. And then he speaks uh, uh, for wives. And let me, let me share this with you. But before I get into it, i got a preface. Somebody's going to say, Mark, it's verses like that where it says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. That there are somebody's going to say, Mark, it's some scriptures like that in Ephesians 5 that has led to many a woman staying in a house too long under an abusive husband and has become terrible. And the church has made them feel guilty because they have not responded. And here you are again saying submit to your own husbands. Let me say this. I'm going to divine submission in just a moment, and I'm going to explain what Peter was saying here. But let me, let me say this, what Peter is not saying. He is not saying put yourself under a male dominance uh, where you become a doormat situation, to be in an abusive situation. That's, that is not what he's saying. What he is doing here is he's resetting the standard of what God sees for marriage. And so if you are in a position right now that's way out of control, emotionally abusive or physically abusive, you need to cry out to somebody and let them know and get some help. Because that I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, God would want you to stay under that until you're dead. No, no, mm -mm. Uh, that's not what Peter's saying. But I do want to explain what Peter is saying because he is not saying any time it gets uncomfortable, just walk away. That's not what he's saying. And so I, I want us to look at this, and I want to give you three things that uh, he is saying to wives, and then three things he is saying to husbands, and then uh, bring this to a close. So number one is this. You can write this down. He's saying to wives, you be the best helpmate you can be. 
Now, the word helpmate goes back to Genesis. It's created. Remember, Adam had a need. God created Eve, and she was to be the perfect helpmate for him. And that's what Peter is reintroducing here. You need to be the best helpmate you can be. And he uses the word submit. And the word submit here is a word meaning rank and order. You know, anybody that's been in the military understands submission better than anybody else. It doesn't, it doesn't have to do with your character or the equality of a person. It has to do with rank and order. And so what Peter is getting here is you need to submit to your husband. Respect him in such a way that there's rank and order. Why does there need to be rank and order in the home? It's because God is taking you somewhere. And he wants there to be this mutual submission, because Paul even talked about that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But there's mutual respect and submission that the lady comes alongside of. She is the perfect complement. She is the one who is the helpmate in, uh, his, in character, in uh, physical, spiritual, soulish, the whole oneness that comes from that. And you don't want to settle for anything less than that. And so that is what he is saying here. You come alongside. You be the best helpmate. You fulfill your vows uh, despite what the other one does. You know, when you do a wedding, you, you have the couple come up there and you do the wedding. You, you uh, go to the groom and either they wrote their own vows or you will use traditional vows. And the 200 plus weddings I've done, I've never said, okay, you keep these vows if she keeps her vows. And I don't say to her, you keep your vows if he keeps his vows. No, it's you keep these vows. These are, these are your vows. And, uh, and so you lay those out. And so this is, this is what he's saying here. You fulfill your vows. You be that perfect helpmate. It's like ballroom dancing. I love the ballroom dancing illustration. If you watch good ballroom dancers, there's bad ones. You watch good ballroom dancers, they're moving across the dance floor as one, but there's one leading. But they're moving together. See, that's what God intends for the home, is for the husband and wife to move together. And so Peter is saying, listen, you submit to your own husband. You don't submit to every man. You submit to your own husband. And, and then he goes on to, to define it a little bit more in that you live in such a way that your hard-hearted husband will be won over because of your incredible behavior towards the Lord. You are your manner of living will win them over when the, when he sees when he gazes in in verse two. Look at this right quick. In verse two, he says, "When they see the purity and reverence of your life." The word "see" there is he studying you. So as your husband studies you, what he is seeing is he's seeing a behavior that he can't even explain because it's otherworldly. It's from God. And he says, this is what you need to do. So number one is be the best helpmate. Number two is this. Let your inner beauty shine. Now, let me say what he is not saying here. He is not saying be unkept, unclean, no pain on the door. That's not what he is saying to women. Okay? So some people, some preachers would get up here and say, man, women, no makeup, you know, no braiding of the hair, no jewelry. That, that's not what he is saying. He is saying that your inner beauty is what's going to be the most attractive. It's the inner beauty that is going to come forth, which is, which is like Jesus, which is meek 
and it, and it, it is a purity, and it's something that is coming out, and that's what he is speaking of here is let your inner beauty. And, and the verbiage here in the Greek is literally don't conform. Don't let your dress be conformity to the world and try to use the world's standards to, to show to your husband. You know, we live in a day that I don't even know how much billions of dollars is spent on marketing, to, especially towards you ladies, in stuff that they tell you that you need to have. And I really feel for our teenagers, because the way I look at it for a teenager today is younger girls who are preteen want to be like teenagers, and then those people that are no longer teenagers want to be like teenagers. And so that's what marketing is all about. How do we keep you adolescent the rest of your life? Always wanting. And so there's incredible struggle. And what Peter is saying, listen, I don't want you to live a life of conformity to the world, but let your inner beauty, and we've talked about that in Peter, the inner beauty of the Spirit, that is what is going to touch your husband's heart as you go through this. I, I wrote down this thought just so it would stick with me. Your life is louder and clearer than your words. Your life is louder and clearer than your words. The third thing that he he brings forth begins in verse 5 here. And and you can just I I I put the term down this way. Trust your husband. Trust your husband. It, it, he starts talking about the women of old and Sarah the the wife of Abraham. You remember Abraham in the Old Testament? Abraham was told to leave his country and Sarah was willing to go with him and they went and they went and then they were to come back and God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham says, I don't know about that, uh, but I'm going to follow you, Lord. And uh, Sarah was willing to follow him and, and whatever. And she became, obviously, eventually, uh, Isaac's mom, which led to the Jewish nation and all these kind of things. It was a great fulfillment. Sarah, when she, it says here, and I think in the King James, she called him master. Now, uh, that's not what Peter is getting across so that you women start calling your husband master. Uh, maybe it'll come back, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's going to come back. But, but it's not a term of dominance. It's a term of respect. She's respecting her husband. Now, I'm going to confess to you women something. It'll stay in this room. What happens at Central stays at Central. We struggle. We struggle. That's why we need respect. I think one thing the world has done, it's beat us down. And in that beat down, because a man doesn't even know what a man is anymore. And so we need the respect to uh, be able to go forward with. I, I, I hate to tell you that, but that's just the honest truth. And that's why most men, their dominant love language is words of affirmation. You know, if you've ever studied the five love languages, most men are words of affirmation. Why? We don't know who we are. And I think that's part of being that perfect helpmate is to, to say that. And, and, and you know what really elevates us is if you're willing to trust us. Because that means we're willing to grow and you allow us to grow. And so Peter is saying here, trust, trust. Just like Sarah, trust and see what happens. 
And I know some of you are saying, Mark, that Yahoo, there's no way I can trust him. There's just no way. Give it a, give it a shot. Start slow. And just see what happens. Now, listen, I know some of you are in this room and, and you, you struggle with passages like this. Because your husband either is either not a believer or he's a very lukewarm believer in verbiage only, but not in life. And you hear this and you're thinking, God, can I trust you with this? Trust him. Trust him. I tell you, uh, I would rather trust him through these hard times knowing that maybe five years from now, ten years from now, he comes and gets a blaze for Jesus instead of there just being a disruption of the home. This is not easy stuff, especially today. But God has a plan. Trust Him. Let's look at what He tells husbands. Then He starts talking to husbands. In verse, He gives us one verse, but He pounds the heck out of us. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. The considerate here means this. And I think the King James says, in an understanding way. What that means is, Point number one is this. Husbands, you need to be a student of your wife. You need to study your wife. You need to learn uh, the way she is, and you need to do this. It's a full-time job, but you need to live with her in a considerate, understanding way. Every time I hear this verse, I'm reminded of the story of the guy who was walking along the beaches in California. He was just praying to the Lord. And the Lord was moved by his prayers, and he said, Listen, I'm hearing your prayers. What is something you would really like and desire? And he said, Lord, I would desire a bridge from here to Hawaii. And the Lord said, really? That is a very selfish prayer. That's going to that's gonna cost so many resources to make that happen. Can you imagine having to drop piers into the ocean? Did, do you imagine? That is a real selfish prayer. Is there anything else you might want? Lord, I would like to understand my wife. I would like to understand the way she thinks. I would like to understand her emotional makeup. I would like to understand uh, just the way that you wired her and the way that she works. And the Lord said, would you like two lanes or four lanes? With it? <laughs> Listen, guys, we are called to be, it's biblical, we are called to be students of our wives. And and that's what we're called. We're called to learn them. And we're called to to learn the way they they are. What what gives your wife joy? What makes her weep? What is her dreams? What is her biggest need? I do not want to learn this from one of my wife's friends. I want to know her and I want to know what brings her joy. I want to know what makes her weep. What brings her joy? When, when Pam and I go hiking, we like to go hiking. If we go to, to, to Rio Dosa and we go hiking up in the mountains, what I, what I do, uh, it's just kind of me, and I'll go online, and you can Google this, questions or discussion questions for couples, and you'll see thousands of them. So I'll run, up, run some off, and we're going to be hiking for hours. I will just start into it, and it will be questions along the line of what, 
how do you feel about so-and-so? If you could take a trip anywhere, where would you like to go? And so for hours will pass, and we're just bouncing these questions back and forth. Or you have the either-or game. You, you ever play that? Sometimes we as guys will play either-or game. For If I were to play it with my wife, I would say, okay, was it either David Cassidy or Donny Osmond? Who was it back the, the younger generation is saying, man, I have no clue who you're talking about. But in the day, that was it. The poster's on the wall. But you would talk about either this or that, either baseball or, or football. You know, as we talk at the either-or game, uh, sci-fi movies or horror movies or uh, rom-coms or whatever it be. You want to learn. You want to be a student of your wife every way that you possibly can. And you made it... It may take a while, but you want to learn uh, them the best you can. Uh, number one was be a student of your wife. Number two is treasure your wife. He says in verse 7, he says, live with them in a considerate way. But he says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. The word treat them there literally means honor or treasure them. And you're thinking, how can I do that? The same way that Jesus treasures us. Paul said it this way. He said, love your wife as Christ loved the church who loved them and gave himself up for her. And so we're called to treasure. We're called to, uh, to protect, to respect, to cherish, and to love them even as the weaker partner. Now, the weaker partner does not mean emotionally. It does not mean uh, any way other than physical. And if you do not understand that there's a physical differentiation between men and women, I don't have time to go into that. But there is a weaker vessel when it comes to that, only physically. And so we are to treasure them. We are to protect them. We are to cherish them. We are to respect them. I was reading Song of Solomon this morning because it's in my a daily Bible reading, and as I'm reading through there, and I'm thinking, I, I don't read Song of Solomon a whole lot because I just don't understand it. That's just the bottom line. I know there's spiritual analogies in there. I just don't get it. Something. Uh, somebody, uh, and I better not go there. The, the, but here's the deal. I was reading this morning, and I thought, man, he treasures that woman. He was saying things that I'm thinking, man, can I do that? Can I write those things down about my wife and her not laugh at me? I mean, that's the way it was, because he treasured her. And we are called to treasure our wives. There's one other, and it's, and it's this. See the value of your wife. See the value of your wife. He says this, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So he talks about be a student of your wife, to treasure your wife, and to see the value of your wife. Because we're joint heirs. We're equal. There's not one that's above another. There's, as Paul said, there's not, there's neither male nor female. There's only those who are one in Christ Jesus. And, and so we, uh, we are to see the value as joint heirs, as spiritual partners. I'm, I'm a spiritual partner with my wife. I could not do what I'm doing if, if I did not have my spiritual partner. Um, and we have always seen that the callings we have, we, we go together. And so I, I respect her so much in that area. And so she is the joint heir. I value who my wife is. And so 
That's what he says to husbands. But then he gives a warning at the end. Notice what he says. He says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing will interrupt or cut in on your prayers. And he's saying, man, if you do not do this, your prayers will be hindered. I wonder, this is, this is Mark. I just wonder if the reason that revival tarries from us so often is because we are not fulfilling what we're called to fulfill in scriptures here. Thus our prayers are hindered. And somebody may wonder, what does that really mean? It, it really didn't mean a lot to me until I had kids. Uh, if you know, you may be guessed, I'll tell you about our family right quick. We have three children. Son is the oldest. They're all in their mid-30s, so, so they're all grown now. But uh, our son, and then we had twin daughters. And uh, the daughters, something happened in middle school and high school that most men are oblivious to. They became women all of a sudden. And guys started noticing. And uh, so you become protective of your daughters when some Yahoo comes and he wants to go out with your daughter or do something with your daughter. And so you very protective of your daughter. And uh, if so that this happened, I'm making this up because we're very blessed. But if if a guy were to mistreat my daughter or abuse my daughter somehow and then come to me and say, Oh, Mr. Westerfield, would you do this for me? Uh-uh. No. The first thing we're not going to talk about is what you want. We're going to talk about my daughter. And what, what Peter is getting across to these husbands is, listen, how you treat these daughters of the king is going to be a, a hindrance or a breakthrough for your prayer life. That makes sense to me. And so I understand that. And so if I want to my prayers not to be hindered, see, Pam belongs to God before she belongs to me. She's a daughter of the king. And how I treat her will either break through or hinder my prayers. So your spiritual walk works very closely with your home life. And and we're, let's just carry it to, I, I know I've got to wrap up here. What is so much under attack today in our nation? The family. We're at a spiritual low in so many ways, and I think it coincides with the fracture of the family. I'm going to ask Brett and the team to come up. I, I, I do not know where all of you are walking today. I do know this. I know the family is very valuable and is of great value to God and his kingdom work. I can say this to you in this room that uh, that are not married. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. God calls some to singleness. He calls some to just a little bit later. He calls some to grow up and you'll be ready for it. But what I want to say to you that are not married Do not settle for anything other than God's best. Okay? Do not settle for anything other than God's best. Youth, don't settle for anything other than God's best. But sometimes we we fumble around a lot. I was was praying before the early service. I was praying with Bob Loudon, and we were praying up here. And uh, 
the Lord just reminded me of a story, and I, I, I feel like I need to share it with you because it brings a smile to my face. It was a small country church, and they would gather for prayer. Every week they would gather for prayer. And there was one old, old guy in the church, and every week he would pray this prayer. Lord, clear the cobwebs out of my life. Every week he would do the same thing, and people would roll their eyes. God, clear the cobwebs out of my life. Finally, one guy had had it, and he was going to pray right when that guy finished. And sure enough, God, clear the cobwebs out of my life. And the, the guy prayed. He said, God, kill the spider in that guy's life. You know, sometimes we're cleaning cobwebs instead of getting to the heart of the matter. And maybe God is speaking to your heart today. Say, God, I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. I want to be used of you, God. I want to bloom where I'm planted. And to you be the glory. Thank you.